Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, unlike Jeremiah, I have a full Connect card here before you this morning. And I just want to draw your attention to a couple things. First of all, we have something called Next Step. And that's going to happen in two weeks. If you are relatively new to the church or brand new to the church, I want to invite you to participate in this. It's a great way for you to learn more about Christ Church and how you can get involved. All the information's right there. Please check out Next Step. Consider this to be a formal invitation to any of you who would like to get involved in the church. Also... Advent is almost upon us. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And a couple of things I want to draw your attention to is, number one, our, our church leaders have banded together to write a devotional to accompany the season of Advent. Again, this starts next week. You can pick one of these up today back at the info desk. We ask you to take one per household. It's great. There's one uh, devotional per day. There's an excellent foreword written by your senior pastor that you can read this week and get a start on. Uh, We'd love for you to grab one of these, a great little resource that we can do together as a church family this Advent season. And also, we are going to be praying on Wednesday nights beginning the first Wednesday in December uh, during the Advent season. Please come and be a part of this. We're going to be praying specifically that people would know Jesus. Isn't that the point of Advent? We have this great hope. And so come. We're going to have this wonderful time of prayer. You can get more information about that also with a card at the Info Center. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here and worship and to raise our hallelujah to you. Thank you for the opportunity to fellowship as believers. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give. And as we consider your scriptures, Lord, we pray that you would teach us. That we would move from knowledge to understanding, and even application, God. Be with us as we look at your word. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We give this time to you. We give ourselves to you. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So once in a while, you kind of reflect on your life, right? Well, recently, I was looking back and thinking about my life. And it's interesting. There's a time in my life when, when I thought I knew God. I mean, I knew stories about Jesus. I grew up in the church and and had faithful Sunday school teachers. I knew stories about Jesus. But now looking back, I could see that I didn't grasp salvation. Can you identify with that? Maybe you have a story like that, that you even were in the church, but you didn't grasp salvation, that, that you knew, you thought you knew God, you knew stories about Jesus, but you didn't. I was still at that time trying to please God by my good works. That was kind of my mentality. And I think, looking back, that's how I could see that I didn't quite understand. I knew some things, but I didn't understand. Well, that all changed. I went to the Billy Graham Crusade in 1993 at Three River Stadium. Some of you heard me talk about this. And there, Billy Graham shared the gospel as he did countless times. And I heard it in a way that I'd never heard before. And I was moved from knowledge to understanding. All of a sudden, the gospel like lit up in my heart and lit up in my mind, and it changed my life forever. It was like that night that God interrupted my religion and and invited me into a relationship. Everything changed. I'm so thankful for that night. But I know this, 
I had a disconnect between what I knew or my knowledge and my understanding. I think this happens to a lot of people. Uh, our youngest daughter has been taking piano lessons. And a while back, she went to piano class and uh, the instructor gave her some exercises to practice at home. Well, a few days later, we go into the room where the piano is and there's our, our young one pacing back and forth in the piano room. I mean, just like furiously, like, you know, walking back and forth in that room. It's like, what's going on here? So I went and I was like, sweetheart, what you doing? Why are you pacing back and forth? And she said, well, the piano teacher gave me these walking exercises to do. And she said, I don't understand how this is going to help me get better at piano. <laughs> I think she was misunderstanding the walking exercises. Crazy, right? There was a huge gap between her knowledge, which she knew she was supposed to do, and understanding the assignment. She was walking back and forth. Bless her heart. She was pacing, right? And so I think that we have this problem sometimes. There's a disconnect between our knowledge and our understanding. And here's the thing I want to point you into, clue you in on. This happens to us spiritually. It's not just piano instructors or little girls who get confused. I think for a lot of us, in fact, I would dare say in some way, each of us has a gap between our knowledge and our understanding. This is something that we fall into. Spiritually, you know, we, we tend to want to know things, right? Know, like learning more information. We like that. But there's a difference between learning more information, knowledge, and understanding. Understanding is making sense of the information. Understanding is, is knowing why the information is important. It's a deeper thing. And so I would ask you to consider this. How is there a gap in your spiritual journey, your walk spiritually, between what you know and what you understand? Maybe you're like me those years ago where there's a gap actually between what you know about Jesus and understanding the grace and the mercy and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the thing that God wants to do in your life today. Maybe it's a gap in prayer. Maybe you, you, you know about prayer, you know the power of prayer, but you don't really understand the power of prayer. Come on Wednesday nights, you can pray with us, you can grow in that understanding. Maybe it's about money. We've been talking about money, right? Sensitive issue. Everyone gets a little uncomfortable when we talk about money. Look, the Bible talks about money. And just as we talk about prayer, just as we talk about reading the scriptures, it's a spiritual discipline. Money is. And a lot of us have a gap between what we know about money and really understanding godly principles that have to do with money. The disciples had this problem. The disciples weren't, weren't immune to this kind of thing. And so we're going to look at a parable, a fascinating parable. One that can be complicated or difficult to understand. And we're going to see how Jesus addresses their understanding and therefore our understanding. So let's go there. We're in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament. I'd encourage you to open your Bible, whether it's a physical copy or a digital copy. You can certainly keep track on the screens. Take some notes on that connect card that you have. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. We're going to take this apart and look at some verses and some sections together. I hope God will speak to us and grow us in our understanding. Let's pick up in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Okay, I got to stop there. Because there's something really important right out of the gate. It's an important reminder to us. And maybe you see it 
in the context of what Jesus is saying here, and that's this, it doesn't belong to you. Did you catch it? I mean, there's a, there's a master, there's a, there's a manager, I'm sorry, a rich man, and his manager, the person who worked for him, was wasting his possessions, possessions that didn't belong to him. The reminder we have here before us right away is, it doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to you. Everything belongs to God. Everything. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. Just to give you some evidence, right? That everything belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. The world and all who live in it. You get that? The earth is the Lord's. All the people who live in the world. Everything that's in the world. It all belongs to God. Tell you what, Thanksgiving's coming up. The pilgrims understood this principle. There's a prayer that was written by a man named George Webb in the 1600s. Check this out. Listen to this. This is just an excerpt from his prayer. This may have been prayed at the early Thanksgiving table. Check it out. Lord our God and Heavenly Father, which of thy unspeakable mercy towards us has provided meat and drink for the nourishment of our weak bodies, grant us peace to use them reverently as from thy hands with thankful hearts. Do you see this? They see everything from God's hands. The meat, the drink, and you can extrapolate that to include everything they had. It all belonged to God. The pilgrims understood that. And, and what it reminds us is this. We are not managers of our own money. We are managers of someone else's resources. And today we're talking specifically about money. We are managers of someone else's money. And that someone else is God. And here's the thing, you can't just do whatever you want with with money because it's not our money. There's a truth that's embedded in this. The money doesn't belong to us. Everything belongs to God. You know, Americans today, we tend to think, well, hey, I made this money. It's my money. That's the American mentality. No, Jesus says, it's not your money. Every breath, every day, your health. It's all a gift from God. That's what the scriptures teach us. You know, you might say, well, I work hard. Will you work hard? People all over the world work hard. Let's be real. And many of them do not reap wealth. Go take a trip to some, some place in Africa or, or in Central America. You'll find that very quickly. We are called to be stewards. This manager, that word could also be translated as steward. We are stewards and it's not really ours. We're stewards of something that doesn't belong to us. God calls us to be generous. That's his command. That's his direction for us with our money. And if you're not, it's not just stinginess. If you're not generous, it's not just stinginess. It's robbery, according to God's word. It's all the Lord's. The earth, everything in it. Go through a checklist. Your, 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 your food, yeah, that's the Lord's. Your house, yep, that's the Lord's. Your car, yes, that's the Lord's. Your money, you better believe it. It's all the Lord's. We have to know this. Better yet, we've got to understand this. It's a gap. It's a gap for me sometimes. I struggle with this. I'm human. 
We need to understand this. Let's go back to the text. Okay, so that's a lot for one verse, right? There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, verse 2. So he, that's the master, called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. You cannot be a manager for me. You can't work for me anymore, he says. So here we have another really important reminder. The first reminder is that everything belongs to God. It's all his. The second reminder right here in verse 2 is this. We are all called to give an account. We will be called to give an account. This manager was called to give an account of how he had been stewarding the master's possessions. And just as that person was called to account, each one of us will be called to account. I want to point you to another piece of evidence. You can write this down in your notes. Romans chapter 14, go there, it's in the New Testament. I'm going to pick up in, in verse 10, halfway through, read through verse 12, check it out. It says, for we all will stand before God's judgment seat. We all will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord. Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge me. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That's heavy, isn't it? I mean, it's sobering. We all will give an account. That manager had to give an account. We will have to give an account. Let me tell you, our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen, right? That is a great truth. That is great news. His blood covers all of our sin. Past, present, future. We can arrive because of Jesus before the judgment seat with no guilt. Do you trust in Jesus? If you do, you can uh, arrive at the judgment seat that's spoken of in Romans 14 with no guilt through Jesus. But I also want to share this with you. That's true. But think about this. Think about the way you live your life and the account of it, the record of it, like a filing cabinet. Remember the old school filing cabinet, uh, ca cabinets? You know, pull one of those drawers out. And there would be a file in there. And that file for you would be evidences of your understanding of salvation. My understanding of salvation. The evidence of it. Pull out that file folder and set it down. And this is all the good deeds of my life. This is all of the, the evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. Is it a short stack? Is it a small folder? Is it a big one? What does it look like? It's a filing cabinet drawer. And, and the deal is this. It's not just knowing. It's not just understanding. It's application. It's application. That file, for, uh, file cabinet drawer shows the application of our faith. The application is the evidence of our understanding of who Jesus is. The evidence of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what this is. The evidence of our faith. This is the account that we have to give. Let me ask a question to you. I've wrestled with this this week. I'm going to pass it on to you. Are you ready to give an account? Are you ready to give an account? If the Bible is true, and I believe it's true, I believe that a lot of you in this room and those worshiping online with us, you believe it's true. If the Bible is true that we will have to stand at the judgment seat and give an account, are you ready to give an account? I want to be clear. 
you are, you are accepted through Jesus, not the filing cabinet. You got that? You are not accepted through the filing cabinet, the good deeds. You are accepted through Jesus. The blood covers all my sins. His perfection becomes my perfection. But let's ask this question, what is in the filing cabinet record? What does it show? We'll have to give an account. It all belongs to God, remember? It all belongs to God. How are you stewarding it? Does your life reflect not only knowledge or understanding, but application? So here we have in two verses, this great understanding that it all belongs to God. It's all his. And that we will have to give an account of how we are using what he's given to us. Let's go back to the text, okay? So Luke 16, verses 3 through 8. Listen to what happens after he's given his account, okay? The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. Evidently, the review of the account didn't go very well. He's losing his job, okay? So he says, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He had an idea. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked to the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Slash and prices here. And then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master must have seen this or heard about this. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now this is where for some people this becomes complicated. Let's look at an explanation of what's happening here, okay? First of all, this, this manager starts to look at his future in light of the fact that he's losing his job. And he realizes he's out of options, or at least he's out of options that he likes. He doesn't want to work for his hands. He doesn't think he can get another job this good. And so what does he do? He gets a plan and he slashes debt. By the way, we could probably assume that the prices that he and his boss were charging were exorbitant. They were, they were unreasonable. They were very high prices. And he makes this scheme, he puts together this scheme to make friends so that he can get a favor whenever he needs it, when he doesn't have a job. So are we to follow in his example? Are we to be taking his pattern of thinking and doing this? I mean, he was commended after all, right? No. He's dishonest. Jesus refers to this worker as a dishonest servant. This is not someone that Jesus is putting before us as an example. This master, I'm sorry, this, this manager was selfish. And the Bible says that he acted shrewdly. In other words, he was cunning. In other words, he was looking out for his own purposes. Look at the rest of verse 8. We cut off in the middle of it. Look at the rest of verse 8. Jesus says, for the people of this world, this is Jesus' commentary. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd and dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Okay, so here's the deal, okay? Jesus makes an observation about the way that people work in the world. They deal shrewdly. They're cunning, especially when it comes to money. 
And he says this, Jesus makes an observation. By the way, he doesn't make an endorsement. And he says this, he says, people of the world in matters of money, they plan for the future. People still do that today, don't they? People plan for the future. And Jesus is saying, hey, the people of the world, they plan for the future. And they're assertive in doing that. And they're bold in doing that. And here's what he's pointing out. We do this all for something that will not last. The people of the world are shrewd. And they're planning for the future. And they're trying to get a stack of money. And what he's showing us here is, it's a waste of time. You're doing it for something that will never, ever, ever last. That's what he's pointing out. But here's what he's saying to us also. He says we should actually take some cues from the people of the world and how they, they, they use their money. And here's the cue we should take. We should have a healthy brand of assertiveness when it comes to money in our, in our lifetime. Disciples should have a healthy brand of assertiveness in how we use God's money. And he says that this is often lacking. You can pick up on it. The people of the light often aren't good at this. We should also, in the healthiest sense, be shrewd with how we use our money. We should be stewarding what God has given us with the future in mind. Just as the people of the world use their money with the future in mind, we should be thinking about the future with a capital F. We should be investing in God's kingdom. Not dishonestly, not selfishly, but selflessly, boldly. Listen. Do you understand this? He's taking a snapshot of the way that people work with money and the way they use money. And he says, look, this is the way the world does it. I got a better plan for you. Use your money to invest in things that will last. I'm not asking you if you know this. I'm saying this, do you understand this? I think often there's a gap between what we know and what we understand. It goes into greater focus. If you look at verse 9, back in Luke 16, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. There's a key phrase in that passage we just read, and that's this. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. You hear that? Here's how you're supposed to use your money. Use worldly wealth. Use your money to gain friends. It's about relationships. Our money is meant to be used to be brought into a fellowship of friends that lasts forever. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Your money, my money, the church's money, is to be used to, to create a, fellow, a fellowship of friends that last forever. Invest, in other words, in what will really last. The shrewd manager invested in business relationships. Well, that was of some value. But if you put your money into the kingdom of God, that's something that will last forever. Make your investment in the kingdom. So as a church, we're, we're, we're seeking to grow in our capacity to do this. We want to become better and better, so to speak, at stewarding our money in a way that glorifies God, that invests in the kingdom. I'll give you an example of this. There's an organization that we partner with that was actually birthed out of Christ Church called SEED. And that stands for Christian East Africa Economic Development Trust. And, and SEED had this big vision. They've been drilling wells in Uganda for, for years. 
And they've drilled, I think, hundreds upon hundreds of wells in, in Central Af East Africa. Well, they said, hey, let's have a bigger dream. Let's get a big drilling rig so that we can do things we've never even done before. There's a price tag that comes with that rig. $200,000. It's a lot of money. Well, people from this congregation and people from the surrounding areas were able together to raise that money in a matter of days. It was incredible. And you know why? It's an example of people putting money into the kingdom of God. Recognizing that through clean water and the sharing of the gospel, it's a great investment in what God's doing in the world. There's a young man I want to tell you about in the church. His name's Zai Gwaza. And Zai's someone that we love. Many of you know Zai. Zai's life has been blessed by people investing in him. Check out his story on this spoken video. I knew that if I was going to come to America, it had to be through God's provision and God's power. Hello, my name is Zai Guaza, and I've been coming to this church since September 2017. When I was 13, my aunt told me about Jesus Christ. I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit and felt that it was time for me to start the walk with Jesus Christ. When I was 16, I was really interested by developed countries. I had always had a passion for business and why businesses thrive. So I decided that I wanted to go to college, either in America or the UK. I started applying to several schools within the US. Unfortunately, in May of 2017, I did not have enough funding for me to come to America. My vice principal, Sarah, knew a man called Ted, and Ted agreed to pay for my tuition at RMU. For me, I knew that I just wanted to come to America. The opportunity to learn from great industry leaders, but also the opportunity just to meet great people and to broaden my worldview. Unfortunately, in April of 2020, Ted had increasing medical expenses and decided that he couldn't help me out anymore. I contacted my school's administration and they gave me a full scholarship to be able to finish my degree. Because of immigration reasons, I wanted to stay in America studying until at least May of 2021. I reached out to my school and they said that they would not be able to, to pay for my additional schooling for my accounting minor. In September of 2020, Dan Thompson from Parish Council reached out to me and they started to fundraise and help me and there was a miracle that happened. The parish council and some members of the church were able to fundraise for my spring 2021 semester for me to be able to accomplish and finish my accounting minor. I was humbled. There's a song in my home country that talks about how the one who looks after us does not sleep. 
And that's the motto of my life. I've always believed that because I am with God and God is walking with me, my needs shall always be taken care of. God's provision for me to be in America, God's provision for me to finish my last semester, for me to be able to find a home church and a family. I see God's hand in all that. From the time I came to America, all I saw was God's provisions, God's love, and God's help. And may all the glory go to Him. Yeah, praise God. You know, Jesus instructs us saying, use worldly wealth to gain friends. I think Zai is a great example of the kind of friends. Isn't it wonderful to have a friend like Zai? The kind of friends that we can gain when we're generous. When we use the resources God has given us to bless other people. There's other Zai's out there. There's other stories to be told. That's one example of many. And it's clear, right? God has called us to be generous. God has called us to invest our money in the kingdom. Something that will last forever. That's how we're to use our money. To have an eye towards the future and be thinking in that way. So often though, we, we know but we don't understand. And even if we understand, we don't apply. We want to hang on to it. The Bible actually teaches us, if you're paying attention in this parable, that that is dishonesty before God. That's, that's being a dishonored, dishonest rather, steward of what God has given us. Let me, let me put it to you this way, right? Look at verses 10 through 12. The scripture says, whoever can be trusted with very little, picking up verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Invest your wealth in something that really lasts. Listen, the word of God will last forever. The gospel of Jesus Christ lasts forever. The fellowship of friends that we can gain when we share the gospel, that lives forever. It, it lives forever. It goes beyond death because of Jesus and his resurrection. This family that we're called to be a part of. Imagine that someone, in light of those verses I just read, imagine that someone were to give you a house, a really nice house. Wouldn't that be cool, right? They give you a house. And this person says, hey, here's the keys. The house is all yours. Just one thing. I want to have one room of the house. Give me one room that I can use for my own purposes or one space that I can use for my own purposes. Would you say, no way, I don't want that. Of course not. I would hope you wouldn't. That'd be unreasonable if you'd say that. You'd say, okay, good deal. I'll take the really nice house and I'll give you one room. Do I get to pick the room? You get one room from me, right? Well, in the same way, you know what? God has called us to be people who are generous. And here's what he's done. He's given you everything. He's given you the house on the hill. And here's what he says. He says, give me a little bit back. The Old Testament calls it a tithe, 10%. He says, give me 10%. Some of you will say, well, the, the, the New Testament doesn't talk about a tithe. It doesn't talk about 10%. You're right. The New Testament actually sets the bar higher. 
Look at the parable of the, the story of the widow's might. She gave everything. That's the, that's the New Testament standard. Which one do you want to choose? The 10% or everything? God says, just give me a bit of this back. That's how you can start. This is who we're called to be. And Jesus, I love how he sums it up. He says, whoever can be trusted with much will also, I'm sorry, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of people. Do we have the faith to say yes and to follow Jesus in that way? So listen, we've been talking about knowledge and understanding. We certainly want to be people who don't just know. We want to be people who understand. And we want to move to application. Well, there's a real practical application that you can participate in. And I'm talking to people who are a part of the family here at Christ Church primarily. Every year we have a tradition of bringing our pledges in before the church and laying them on a table and saying, God, this is yours. Use it for your purposes. And so we'd encourage every one of you who are part of our church family to participate in this act of worship today. It's really an expression of faith. It's really a faith response. And we're going to sing a song in a few moments. You'll get to come forward and you're going to lay your card on the table. as an act of worship before God. To say, yes, God, this all belongs to you. And I know I'm going to be called to account. And so I want to use what you've given me, a portion of it, to build your kingdom. As a part of this church family, I'm laying it out there and I want to give to this. I ask you to, to consider that. I encourage you to do that. When you come forward for, for your, your, your pledge to put it on the table, you can also go back and receive prayer from our prayer and care team. You may be saying, you know, my heart's just not there yet. I'm struggling with this. That's real. I'm struggling to understand it. I don't have the faith to give. Go and pray with someone. They would love to pray with you. Or maybe you have some other kind of need. You're sick. Or you have some kind of need or you're burdened in some way. Please go back to our prayer and care team. But make the faith step. Respond to the Lord today in faith. I want to read you this scripture as we consider all this. And we prepare to go into this time where we're going to respond to God. And I want to point you to Jesus. The one who tells this parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus is described by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in this way. He says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you. By the way, he's talking about money here with the church. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test your sincerity. The sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's told them about another church and how generous they've been. He says, I want to compare your love to theirs. I want to see if you're just as earnest as them. And he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, there's this thing, man. There's this thing that Jesus has set this incredible example for us. I want to make this clear. As Paul says, I'm not commanding you. Look, don't give your money. Because you think I'm ordering you. If you don't feel comfortable giving to this church, and don't give. God will provide for this church everything we need. But for those who are faithful, who are part of this church family, I would encourage you to be generous. I would encourage every person here to consider generosity. Not because we're asking you to put a pledge card on the table. But because Jesus Christ has set an example for us. He was rich. He's the son of God. 
The world was created through him. Everything belongs to him. But yet what? He became poor. And so would you consider his example? And there's at least two action steps for you today. The first might be this. To receive Jesus, to grow from, from knowing who Jesus is and believing stories about him even. And understanding that he is your savior. That he's your only hope. That by his blood you're forgiven. You could stand before the judgment seat. That might be your step today. To say, God, I need you. I'm going to go pray with someone and talk to someone about this at the prayer and care team because I need a Savior. I need Jesus who was rich but became poor and paid for my sins by his shed blood on the cross. That's your action step. Do that. Go from knowing to understanding to application. For others, maybe you're following Jesus already. And your step of application might be this. To give money away in shocking, uh, uh, shocking proportions. To say, you know what, I'm going to be more generous than I've ever been before. 10%, I'm going to exceed that. My family, we're working to exceed giving away more than 10%. That's the road we want to be on. We want to give away more money every year. We want to grow in our generosity. That's the challenge that's there for us. We serve an incredible God. Everything belongs to him. We're all going to be called to account. Hallelujah. Through Jesus, we could stand at that judgment seat. But I pray that when the file folder is pulled out of that cabinet, that there will be an example. There'll be evidence of our faith in him. Fruit of that. Let us be a generous church for his glory. We're going to do something here at the end of the service, uh, or towards the end of the service now, as we prepare to give our gifts. We're going to recite together a litany of thanksgiving. We want to give out of joyful hearts, out of grateful hearts. And so I'd ask you to stand, knowing that everything belongs to God, knowing that all of this is the master's possessions. Let's read this together. Let's recite this together. It's kind of a call and response thing as a way of worshiping God. I'll read the first part and then we're all going to respond together. Let us give thanks to God our Father for all his gifts so freely bestowed upon us. For all that is gracious in the lives of men and women, revealing the image of Christ, we thank you, Lord. For our daily food and drink, our homes and families, and our friends, we thank you, Lord. For minds to think, and hearts to love, and hands to serve, we thank you, Lord. For health and strength to work, and leisure to rest and play, we thank you, Lord. For the brave and courageous who are patient in suffering, and faithful in adversity, we thank you, Lord. For all valiant seekers after truth, liberty, and justice, we thank you, Lord. For the communion of saints in all times and places, we thank you, Lord. Above all, we give thanks to you for the great mercies and promises given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. To him be praise and glory with you, O Father, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. As Brad leads us with the band and the song, during this time, you're going to be free to come forward and to place your pledge as an offering and a sacrifice of worship. As your way of saying, God, it all belongs to you. And I lay it on the line. And I give it back to you for the investment of the sake of your kingdom. Thank you, God.
Amen.